It is so great to see each of you here this morning as we have heard the tremendous testimonies of three young women. And I am so pleased and I am proud of each of you. Um, you have no idea how nervous they were before this. And you did such a tremendous job. I think you could be public speakers someday. <laughs> you did an excellent job. Thank you for sharing from your hearts. I think we've all been blessed by what they shared. And I think we can all as well recognize the sincerity of what, what they shared this morning. The struggles they've been through, it hasn't been just an easy, smooth road to this point. They've had to face real adversity and real trouble in life and have relied on God to bring them through. And that's why they're here today. And so it has been my privilege to be a small part in that journey. Today I want to take the next few minutes to share with you from God's word a few thoughts from Ephesians chapter 2. So would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we continue to give you all of, all of the glory and praise for what is happening here today. Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. All that we are, all that we have, all that we can do is because of you. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you have made possible for us by your willingness to come to be a baby, to be born, Lord, in a humble stable, to be a humble carpenter, to grow up, Lord, not to be a king living in a palace, Lord, but you showed us the life of a servant, the life of humility, and a life of sacrificial love, that you would go to the cross, that you would die in our place so that we could be forgiven that we could be washed clean on the inside and then show that on the outside by submitting ourselves to the water of baptism, to be identified with you in your death so that we can rise up with you to new life. Thank you so much, Lord, for this. We, we just want to continue, Lord, to give you praise. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to speak through this word now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, we read, Remember that at one time you were without Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. A world without God is a world without hope. A life without Christ is a life with no future. Today we live in a world that is filled with violence, filled with suffering, filled with lonely people, filled with despair. We have only to look at our news headlines to see that it isn't, if it isn't true. They're filled with stories every single day of every single week of wars and rumors of wars. We wonder if there's going to be more violence in Ukraine. We hear of schoolgirls in Africa being kidnapped to be used as sex slaves. Closer to home, we have heard the news of the recent shootings in Moncton of three RCMP officers. In the recent weeks, there have been more senseless shootings of co-workers and others. We also hear of the news in the States of children stabbing other children. And as we consider all of these horrific things pulled from our news headlines right here at home today, we could ask the question, where is the hope? Where is our future when these things are happening? It sounds to me like our world 
is in desperate need of hope. It sounds to me like our world is in desperate need of a future brighter than what we see today. Today, as we look around, not only in the national news headlines, but personally and closer to home, everywhere people are desperately searching for a glimmer of hope to cling to, searching for someone or something that can fill that nagging void within them. And so many people will turn to all sorts of things trying to fill that void within them, hoping to find that magic pill that will cure that inner loneliness, that, that feeling within them that, that says to you, is life really worth living? You feel all alone and you're in a room full of people. You feel this nagging feeling of despair. And maybe some of you have even been in that place or are there right now where you've even thought of suicide as a way of escape. All around us, people are in this place in our world today and right here in our own community. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, reminding them of what they had been like when they were still living without God. And it sounds a lot like our world today. Listen to verses 1 to 3. Paul writes, "'As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins.'" in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work within those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And so as we consider those words, just as the people of ancient Ephesus were deceived by Satan, the prince of the power of the air, as they were deceived by him and followed the ways of the world, so too our culture right here in Canada today has been so thoroughly deceived by the same force, so thoroughly deceived to believe the lies that we have begun portraying the lies as though they were the truth. And so it continues to indoctrinate us with the lie that there are three primary things in life that will satisfy that inner feeling of despair, of that nagging feeling that life is pointless. And they try to satisfy us with three primary things, the three Ps, power, possessions, and pleasure. This is what the, the lies that the world continually throws our way. Power tells us that if we can just be more successful... If we can just work our way up the ladder to a position of higher authority, where we can perhaps have have more clout over others, more control, more say, more ability to make money and do whatever we want with our lives, if we can just get there, then we will be satisfied. All of our problems will be solved and we'll be happy, we'll be fulfilled. Possessions tell us that if we only have a little bit more, then all of our problems will go away. Just a little bit more money, and and those bills won't be nagging me so much, and everything will be better, and I'll be happy. Just a little bit more. You know, just a little bit more land in my, my farm, if it were just a little bit bigger, then I would be satisfied. You know, the house is kind of small, just a little bit bigger house, one with more rooms. You know, maybe if I had a cabin on the lake, a newer car, a bigger truck, better farm machinery, new clothes, new shoes, video games, motorbikes, snowmobiles, and all the other stuff that we can fill our houses with. If only we had just a little bit more, then I would be happy. Then I would be satisfied. That is the lie that our world is continually telling us. 
And finally, pleasure tells us that if we can just gratify our senses long enough and, and well enough, then we will be happy. Does anyone know what company's current slogan is open happiness? What company's current slogan? What was that? Coca-Cola. You're going to hear that a whole lot more in the coming weeks and months as the World Cup unfolds. Coca-Cola, of course, the principal sponsor. Open happiness. As though you could find happiness in a can of Coke. Just crack that open, take a swig, and you're opening happiness. Really? Is it, is it really that easy? We're going to find it in the bottom of a Coke can? What about for all the Pepsi drinkers out there? What about them? How can they be happy? Well... There's that option. But you see, no matter what happens, even if you could find happiness in a can of Coke, it's going to be fleeting. You might be happy for a moment, but you're going you're to find the bottom of the can. Then what? Drink more? At what point is this going to stop working? You see, that's the nature of pleasure. Pleasure, no matter how intense it is in the moment, it is always fleeting. It can only satisfy us for a moment But once it passes, we always find ourselves needing more. And so we chase after it. We pursue it, trying to recapture that feeling. It's why people experiment with all sorts of things. It's why people use drugs, only to find themselves addicted, always chasing the high, always needing more. It's why so many turn to excessive use of alcohol so they can forget their problems and feel okay for just a moment, only to once again find themselves sober with things no better than before and perhaps worse. But perhaps the ultimate pleasure that our culture has elevated to the the status of the ultimate fulfillment in life is sexual pleasure. Just as Paul described to the ancient uh, people in Ephesus, Canada today can be described in the same terms gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. You know, we only have to look around and we can see how in a thousand different ways through media, movies, music, the internet, fashion, and sexual education in our own public schools, our culture is telling us, teaching us, indoctrinating us with the fact that they are saying if you only can have enough sexual pleasure and physical gratification, then you will be fulfilled, then you will be happy, then your life will be perfect. But the devastating consequences of believing this lie are all around us. Ruined marriages and devastated families dot our landscape today. Today, the statistics say that more children grow up with divorced parents than with those who remain together. Sadder still are the countless numbers of children who are sexually abused or molested in some way in those early years. The stats tell us that one in three women and one in five men in Canada have been sexually abused or molested at least once in their life. Those are staggering. That means that there are those represented in this room today who have suffered the same. And so as we think of all of these consequences, and we think of the consequence of today, pornography addiction amongst men is at an epidemic level. Epidemic. You you survey a a room full of high school teenage boys. 90% have viewed pornography at least once in the previous week. And I would suggest the other 10% might be lying. 
This is how bad it has become. And our world says this is all okay. It's freedom. It's enlightenment. No, it's bondage and it's slavery. Many people believe that just looking is harmless. But Jesus said that whoever looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. How could that be? It's because the root of adultery begins in the heart. It doesn't happen just in the action. It begins here. And then it works its way into our thoughts, and eventually it finds an outlet in our behavior. And for this reason, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 instructs us, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows out of it. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 to 20, Jesus said this to his disciples, The things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. And then we look at Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, who says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? As we consider the subject of the heart today, let me ask you, how is your heart today? Where is your heart? Who does it belong to? You see, you may be able to look relatively good on the outside to others. You know, we've all come to church this morning, right? So we're putting on a good show no matter what. We're in church. Someone asked, where were you today? I was in church. Most of you are dressed up. You know, you're wearing your better clothes, looking good on the outside. We can deceive others. But where is your heart? Because dressing up on the outside, cleaning things up and coming to church, that's not what counts. Because remember... As we learn in the book of Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Is sin lurking beneath the surface? Are any of those three P's of power, possession, or pleasure holding you captive today? If so, there is only one cure. You need a new heart. You need a brand new heart. You don't just need a tune-up. You don't just need a pacemaker or a, a fix-me-up. You need a transplant. This is not something that you can do for yourself. This is something that only your Creator can do for you. This is only something that Almighty God can accomplish. And make no mistake about it. You cannot work yourself. You cannot earn yourself into God's good graces. You can't fix up your own heart well enough or, or strong enough in order to come into God's presence, to have your sins removed. Only He can do that for you. Trying to do that is like the old man who wanted to sell his property. And he had this dilapidated old house. Everything on it was just in disrepair. He hadn't looked after it for years and it had taken its toll. The shutters were hanging down. The roof was leaking. The foundation was crumbling. Everything about this property was in complete disrepair. Realizing that he was probably going to have difficulty selling his property in such poor shape, he sets about the task of fixing it up. And so he goes up and patches the roof. He replaces the broken windows and gives the house a new coat of paint. Pleased with his efforts, he puts the property on the market and soon finds a buyer. Aha, my efforts have paid off. And so on the day that the new buyer took possession of the property, the old man went over to see if they needed any help moving into the house. But when he arrived at his old house, rather than seeing a moving truck backed up to the house, 
He watched in dismay as a bulldozer flattened it to the ground. All of his home improvements had been for nothing. The new owner only wanted the property. He wanted to build a brand new home. It's the same way with us. We can try to dress ourselves up, put on some new paint, fix the leaks in the roof as much as we want, but as long as our hearts remain unchanged, all that makes no difference. So long as sin is lurking there, then according to Paul, we are still dead in our trespasses and sins. Because what's on the inside hasn't changed. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and verses 24 to 26, God speaks to ancient Israel, who because of their sin had been conquered by its enemies and taken away into distant lands of captivity. Once in captivity, they were scattered. There was no cohesion. There was no ability for them to rise up by their own strength to go back to Israel and reform as a nation. They were utterly helpless. And so here they are, suffering the consequences of their sin. But rather than abandoning them in their time of despair, listen to what God says to them. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. I will remove from your heart the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Heart transplant. This is what God offers to those of us who would receive it. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. You see, like Israel, we too are held captive to sin, incapable of freeing ourselves. Only God can. But my friends, not only can God do it, but he desires to do this. He desires to give each one of us a new heart, one that beats only for him and in him. You see, it is only by this wonderful, incredible, amazing grace of God that you or I or anyone in this whole world can be saved. It is only because of God's great love that sin, despair, and death don't get the final say. God has the final say. And how did he show us this great mercy and grace? I want you to listen to verse 7. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Romans 5 verse 6 follows this up. For when you were without strength, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. This gift of grace is free for us. It is absolutely free. You cannot pay one cent for it. You cannot earn it with labor or any amount of good deeds. It is a free gift. But remember that it cost Jesus everything. For in order to pay for the consequences of all sin, yours and mine, and all people for all time, his body was beaten and broken. His flesh was torn from his body by cruel whips. A crown of barbed thorns was forced onto his head. 
Then cold iron spikes were driven through his hands and his feet as he was nailed to a cross reserved for the worst of criminals. And so he hung there, despised and rejected by men, his precious blood pouring out of the gaping wounds in his body, suffering the mockery and ridicule of the crowds. And in doing so, he died the death that my sins deserve. He died the death that your sins deserve. But my friends, here's the best part. He didn't stay dead. No, he rose from the grave. He came back to life, never to die again. Sin and death do not get the final say. No, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O grave, your victory? Jesus has purchased us the victory by his death, by his resurrection. Our lives can truly be free from sin and alive to God in every single way. And so Jesus is the firstborn risen from the dead, but we are all those who can now follow in his footsteps. All those who believe what he has done, all those who put themselves upon his mercy, trusting that his death, his resurrection is enough to cover all of your sins. If you do that, you receive his mercy, you receive his grace, and you receive that wonderful gift of salvation. This is the opportunity that he gives to each and every one of us right now today. And what we can do with it is simple. We reject it or we accept it. That's it. The choice is yours. He will not force you to go one way or the other. He desires for you to receive it, but he will not force you to. But he gives you the invitation. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith... And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. I want to share with you a story that I've shared before that illustrates the great concept of grace. This was written by Charles Stanley. He shares, One of my more memorable seminary professors had a practical way of illustrating to his students the concept of grace. At the end of his evangelism course, he would distribute the exam with the caution to read it all the way through before beginning to answer the questions. This, this caution was written upon the top of the exam as well. And so as we read the test, it became unquestionably clear to each of us that we had not studied nearly enough. The further we read, the worse it became. About halfway through, audible groans could be heard from the, cra- from the classroom. On the last page, however, was a little note written in tiny font that read, You have a choice. You can either complete the exam as given, or simply sign your name at the bottom, and in doing so, receive an A for this assignment. Wow! Those of us who read it were stunned. Was he serious? Just sign it and get an A? Slowly, the point dawned upon us, and one by one, we turned in our tests and silently filed out of the room. When I talked with the professor about it afterwards, he shared with me some of the reactions that he had received throughout the years. Some students began to take the exam without reading it all the way through, and they would sweat it out for the entire two hours of class time before reaching the last page to realize that all of their efforts had been futile. All they needed to do was sign. Others would read the first two pages, become angry, turn the test in blank, and storm out of the room without signing it. 
They never realized what was available, and as a result, they lost out completely. One fellow, however, had read the entire test, including the note at the end, but decided to take the exam anyways. He didn't want any freebies. He didn't want any gifts. He was going to earn his grade, and so he did. He made a C+, but he could have had an A. And this story illustrates many people's reaction to God's solution to sin. Some people look at God's standards, the moral and ethical perfection of a holy and pure God, and we throw up our hands and surrender. How could we ever live up to a holy and perfect God? Why even bother trying? Others are like that student who read through the test and were unaware of the professor's offer, and so they tried their best anyways. Others still decided that even though that gift was there, they knew, they understood, they were going to earn their way. They were going to do this by their own terms and in their own strength. Unwilling to simply receive God's free gift of forgiveness. But God's grace is truly like that professor's offer. It may seem unbelievable, but if we simply accept it, our names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. And like the stunned students who accepted the professor's offer, we too will discover that, yes, God's grace is truly free. It is truly that simple. It's as simple as signing your name, receiving what he has already done for you. My friends, are you tired? Are you tired? Within you, are you tired of the fight? Are you, are, are you just tired of your struggle with sin? Are you tired of the road that you are on and where life has taken you? And as you look back and maybe you're filled with regret, are you tired? Are you ready for a change? Are you ready for something new? Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. He is the answer you are looking for. He is what your heart has been craving Turn to him. He will come in and he will rearrange things in your life in such a way that you could never have thought possible. But we have to turn to him. He alone is the answer. He alone can forgive that sin, wash us clean, and give us that brand new heart. And along with it, a new life. One filled with hope, one filled with love, and one filled with a future for today, tomorrow, and for all of eternity. As St. Augustine wrote this profound truth, my heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. And today Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If anyone would hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And today we have just heard the testimonies of three young women who have opened that door. And they have welcomed Jesus in. And in spite of everything they've been through in life, he has made the difference. And they are ready to say that publicly, that on the outside, we are doing an outward act of the inward reality of what Jesus has done inside of me. We're going to show it to the world. We are going to go down in the waters of baptism. And we, just like Jesus, are going to rise out of that water to new life in Christ, to follow him for the rest of our days until he returns or takes us home. And so today, I want to extend to all of you that same invitation. Would you have a new heart? Would you perhaps be in that place where you know you need to rededicate yourself to Christ? 
Maybe you made that decision a long time ago and have strayed for a long ways. But today is a day of mercy. If that's you, today Jesus is saying, here's a chance for you to come back because my arms are open wide. My offer stands. Would you come to me? I want to give you that opportunity today. I want to invite Taylor Friesen to come forward. I've asked her to sing a song once again that she sang for us at our Easter service. It speaks exactly to what we've been speaking about this morning. The wonderful grace of Jesus Christ. The scandal of grace is that he died in our place so our souls may live. And as Taylor sings this song, I want to open up this opportunity for each one of you. Turn to Jesus. Give yourself to him. If you need to do business right where you're sitting today, do business with Jesus. Today could be the day where you make yourself right with him. Receive that gift and get back on his road for your life. And if you want to take a physical step to make that happen, I want to open up the altar at the front. If you need to come forward for prayer as Taylor sings this song, feel free to come forward to pray, and I would love to pray with you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the wonderful grace that you have shown us by your great mercy, that you did not spare your own son, but gave him for us. Gave his body, and he gave his blood, so that our sins could be paid for, so that we could be right with you. And so now, by that same power, O Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you work in our hearts that which is pleasing in your sight. Lord, those who have strayed from you for a long time, Lord, I pray that right now they would feel that wonderful invitation to once again receive your mercy and grace. And Lord, I pray for those who have not ever taken that step for the very first time, Lord, I pray that today could be the day of salvation for them, where they simply receive your gift, confess their sins to you, declare that, I believe, I believe that you have done this for me. Jesus, would you come into my life, give me a new heart, Begin that work in me even today, Lord. We thank you for this amazing work. Bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.